0: DEVCOM Podcast presents the Cast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DEVCOM Podcast series, bringing you the DEVCOM experience year-round. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Johanna Janiszewski, founder and CEO of Tiny Crocodile Studios, an indie development team from Berlin here in Germany. Hey, Johanna, it's great to have you here. Hey Lars, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always a pleasure to uh, talk um, to, in particular indie studios, um, uh, because I, I usually like the stories the most. You know, there's there's the <laughs> big uh, corporations and it's exciting as well. But uh, you know, I, I I like the the teams that uh, have to go through a lot of hardships to actually build a studio. <laughs> so that's why I'm particularly excited about um, you know our, our session today. So I mean, we of course when we when we prepared this, we talked a bit about um, you know the overarching topic for this and. Um, I think the the general motto of this is how can you build an indie team and and survive at the same time how do you how do you make money as an indian and, and stay alive so why don't you tell us a bit about yourself johanna and uh, tiny mm-hmm. crocodile studios how you founded <laughs> it and and how it all came together
1: yeah um Building an indie studio and survive is a very interesting topic. I'm still finding out how to do it myself. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I will start with the start of uh, Tiny Crocodile. Uh, So Tiny Crocodile is a very small indie studio. It uh, consists of two people. It's my husband Mario and me. Um, And we founded the studio in 2016. Uh, by the way, it's the year when we married as well. So we not only founded a studio, but we organized a wedding as well. So well, that it sounds like you, you did a lot, lot, lot in one year. I
0: mean. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It's it's been a it's been a ride since. So a lot of organizing is involved. Uh, so much yeah. I can tell you. Um, yeah. So we founded Tiny Crocodile uh, actually to start developing uh, one of our own game ideas, Monkey Swag. Um, Monkey Swag was funded uh, from the Berlin um, Medienborg, sorry, Medienborg Berlin Brandenburg Mm -hmm. and uh, USM, a publisher in Munich. And uh, I founded Tiny Crocodile initially uh, to have a a legal framework for developing the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't want to develop this as as a private person. So this was the start of Tiny Crocodile and Especially in the beginning, we uh, cooperated w- also with freelancers. So, Mario and I are the core team, but of course we have other people that we work with, other studios as well. Um, and this structure allows us to be flexible, so we don't have a lot of uh, money that we burn each, each month. <laughs> so, our burn rate is pretty low and this Uh, makes it possible to survive when there are no um, fundings, no budgets, no contract work. Um, And that's what we did in the beginning as well. We uh, made a contract with another studio who helped us developing Monkey Swag. Uh, I cared for the uh, organization, uh, game design, producing all the the auger stuff involved. Uh, Mario is the creative one (laughs) of us both when it comes to art. He is the art director and he organized uh, the the art workflow and also drew um, artworks and graphics himself.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you guys actually work in the games industry before you started tiny Crocodile, or was that not only mm-hmm. the year of the marriage and the foundation of a studio, but also like the no. like <laughs> en- en- entering the industry for the first time? Whoa. No
1: <laughs> I think that would have been a bit a bit much. Now we've worked in the industry. Uh, I mean now it's uh, fifteen years for Mario and twelve years for myself. Oh, that's. Impressive, and, yeah. uh, so I think it was around seven years or so uh, that we that I worked in the industry before. Uh, we were working in the same studio and met there. So, <laughs>
0: okay.
1: uh, yeah, we we met over over working, <laughs> and yeah, noticed that we can work together pretty well. I mean, some couples, uh, they met they meet before and uh maybe come into the situation that they work together and notice that they can, cannot do it, (laughs) it's too much stress, but we, we noticed that we could work together pretty well and enjoyed working together (laughs) before we actually became a couple.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really um, great yeah. to hear that. I've, I've, like over the years, I'm the, I think I've been in the industry for pretty much the, the same amount of time, about 12, 13 mm-hmm. years now. And uh, throughout that time, I've, I've heard of a lot of uh, similar stories where people said, well, you know, we met at work and then we, we created our own thing or we love working together. But I've also heard of some where they were like, yeah, we love each other or we like to work with each other, but both is kind mm-hmm. of not possible. So uh, it's good to hear that there's examples where both actually works.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's of course, uh, Working um, in this combination um, with Tiny Crocodile and uh, the projects we do, it's a lot more stressful uh, also as a couple because uh, you not only have your usual stress and the stress from working on the project, but also the long-term planning. So anything we decide, we decide not only for one of us, but, but for both of us, so in case anything happens it happens to the whole company mm-hmm. and not only to one of us so uh, I don't know if I would recommend it I mean we we can deal with it uh, pretty okay but I can totally understand if, if it's not something for everyone so well I, it's I gonna work it's, for it's you not I mean, an, so. yeah it doesn't have to be an indicator that you're not loving each other enough or something like this it's just It works for us and I can totally understand if it doesn't work for everyone, it's very stressful
0: yeah I can imagine it's not only the, the company that is affected but it's pretty mm-hmm. much your life you know if, if yeah. the company is doing great then I guess you guys are doing great if the company is uh, struggling a little bit then it will definitely have an impact so and, and you, I think you got to have a strong bond as partners to to go through that and I uh, know I certainly understand if it doesn't work for, for some people but it, it's great that it, it works for you so, mm-hmm. so you already mentioned um, Monkey Swag a little bit um, yeah. so um, how about we talk about the, that game a little bit uh, you received the Ger- German Computer Game Award in 2018 for best kids game uh, for the title (laughs) Um, maybe you can talk a bit about what the game is and kind of tie Mm -hmm. it into what you do overall at Tiny Crocodile because you not only make Mm -hmm. the average game you make games with a purpose and so maybe you can talk a bit about that
1: Uh, so uh, at Tiny Crocodile we make family friendly games uh, with a focus on entertainment and serious games and um, monkey swag is exactly that it's an entertainment game a geometry puzzle game And uh, the idea behind the game is that kids use geometry to find hidden uh, pirate treasures. So it's not a game that teaches you geometry, but it builds on the geometry knowledge that a kid uh, gains in school. And it's basically uh, a repetition of what uh, what they already did in school and uh, the idea is that it gives another purpose because when you're in school the purpose why you do your homework is that your teacher gives you good grades or at least doesn't give you bad grades (laughs) so you're not doing it to uh, reach something that has a meaningful purpose for you or at least it was for me as i was a kid (laughs) and so i i wanted to make a game that gives an interesting purpose uh, and in this case finding cool hidden uh, pirate treasures, going on a journey with two crazy pirate monkeys, uh, meeting new pirate monkeys, uh, recruiting them into your crew and um, having something different than the usual school framework that frames this geometry problems. And um, yeah, so the focus is on getting some motivation seeing a school from an, or maybe a school from another angle so the idea is that you play the game and later in school when you encounter similar math problems then as you solved in the game that you maybe remember how you did it in the game and maybe also uh, find a new find a, find fun uh, that may, haven't been there in the beginning so it's uh, a game that is supposed to motivate to solve math
0: problems. And I think it's a really important thing because that's the power of, of games that we can showcase as an industry that uh, sometimes um, problems that you might not want to tackle if they're presented in the typical way, you know, all mm-hmm. of a sudden become a very interesting challenge and, uh, and you can do it through the game. So, so being yeah. curious, did you uh, at some point work with schools that were actually using the game in class? Um, uh, any any public organizations that were interested in, in applying this, um, uh, in this to... Help their, you know, their students to, uh, you know, learn better.
1: Um, I haven't done it myself, um, but someone <laughs> approached me, and I need to look up the name because I'm so bad with names that I forgot oh, it. No worries. Uh, <laughs> he, um, yeah, he took the game and actually wrote a, a, a light fun something that you give to a the The uh... teachers. Yeah, the guideline for the teachers. Uh, so if they want to use it in class, they can use the guidelines. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I didn't do it myself. Um, the, what I did uh, in terms of school um, footage <laughs> was that I was uh, researching all the curric- curriculums from mm-hmm. all the German federal states and uh, checking them for similarities, like what's the basic geometry knowledge that you need to have in certain grades and um, I tested it with kids obviously but uh, I myself haven't been at schools to test it I-, I wish I could have had the time <laughs> and the budget mm. to do so but we were so occupied developing the game and after that, uh, that finding out what to do then uh, next uh, getting budget uh, to survive so yeah <laughs> there's a lot of things I'd, I'd like to do <laughs> but it's just not uh, Budget does not allow to do it, but I'm very happy that he uh, wrote the guideline and so so that uh, that teachers can yeah actually use the game. Speaking of teachers,
0: did you work with any teachers? I mean, you said you researched the uh, the curriculum, but uh, you did it all Mm -hmm. on your own, or did you have some support in terms of uh, you know somebody from schools helping you out with that? Uh,
1: No, not with schools.
0: So geometry, I gotta ask. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, was there a reason you picked that particular topic?
1: Um, Yeah, actually and uh, it also ties into why I, am, I wanted to uh, found Tiny Crocodile, uh, why I wanted to make this game. And uh, it's because actually I wanted to make a reading game in the beginning, because um, when I was working uh, for another, for a company, I noticed that someone, something was lacking from my life, and I wanted to do something <coughs> meaningful and with purpose. So I started to work as an honorary reading mentor, which meant that I went to schools in the uh, in the mornings and I helped kids uh, to practice their reading. So I oh, just one, cool. was there for half an hour, one hour before going to work and I helped the kids and it, it made my life so much better because suddenly I just, I, I wasn't in this bubble anymore that I was in like you work in games most of the people are between 20 and 40 (laughs) so a lot similar ages and uh, working as an honorary reading mentor gave me the opportunity to work with the kids work with the teachers having people from very different ages also the other reading mentors Uh, many of them um, were older and already retired so they had time to do this and um, I had a lot of fun helping the kids and uh, what I noticed there was the motivation is one of the biggest things when it comes right. to having fun learning or not having fun. And in the result, learning something or not learning something. Um, and, and sometimes there's a, there's a gap, so you don't understand something or you miss something and suddenly there's this tiny gap and if you lack uh, the help, getting over this gap the gaps become bigger uh, becomes bigger and bigger because the teacher they have 20 30 uh pupil in their classes and they just they cannot help everyone uh, at the same with the same amount of love and effort <laughs> yeah, and especially the kids that to. are
0: struggling a little more they sometimes can't get mm-hmm. the support because then they can't you know they can't t- take too long for one particular kid but then you know have to support them all and i think that's a problem that we see exactly. everywhere in school so
1: yeah, and so I, I found, uh, I, I liked working with the kids and I wanted to make a game that is motivational as I was doing the the reading mentoring sessions. Uh, but reading, making a reading game is uh, technically and when it comes to localization budget, it's very hard and um, expensive. So I thought, okay, I start out with something different. That's a bit easier to tackle. <laughs> and uh i was thinking of uh, of a colleague who told me then uh, that uh, he's an um graphics programmer and he told me that if he knew now uh, if he knew back then in school what you can do with geometry uh <laughs> like programming yeah. cool art uh, uh, cool graphics and um yeah making graphics look better on the computer he would have been more motivated so this was the link <laughs> getting this tip from my, from my friend who was a graphic programmer. Um, and also I, uh, when I was a kid, I drew, um, a pirate monkey comic. <laughs> and well, that's I where the pirate idea. monkeys come from. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. I, I took my own <laughs> kids work <laughs> when I was a kid, Why not? Yeah. like 13. And, um, yeah. So, uh, Actually, I have I, back then. I had a lot of, of fun and crazy ideas that I sometimes just still take. So I, I scribbled a lot in school back then, <laughs> and uh, I sometimes used those scribbles to make characters.
0: <laughs> oh, and it's, it's it's very unique and, and really cool. I think because it's also personal uh, to you. Then, speaking of the geometry uh, mm-hmm. geometry topic, it's it's interesting. Uh, I can yeah. totally relate uh, with that. So if I, I was pretty good at math at school but Mm -hmm. for one topic, which was geometry. (laughs) It's like, I I, I never got this, why do I have to draw this? And it's like, it it was just not the typical math uh, thing for me. And then later when I got into video games, I realized kind of the same thing, you know, that actually it is very relevant for the work we do. (laughs) Um, So um, I I think it's great that you picked that topic and I can can totally relate (laughs) to to the story.
1: Thanks. Do you like geometry
0: now? (laughs) Well I appreciate it more let's put it that way you know it's It's not that I come home and you know I sit down and draw some triangles or so, but uh you know i I, I appreciate it you know, and, and, and that's good. It's very relevant that uh, that you know something about it, like most of the other topics you learn it's cool. school. Um, so um, that's that's a one-game monkey swag. Maybe mm-hmm. you can tell us a bit about uh, you know the, the the other things you're working on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you have Doggo Dash. I think you have uh, with Monkey Strike. You have a game that you that you started developing. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit about your philosophy and what mm-hmm. the other games are supposed to be and where you wanna where you wanna take this.
1: Yeah, um, so in the beginning, I wanted to make Tiny Crocodile purely an entertainment and serious game uh, company. But uh, as we worked on Monkey Swag and also on some contract works, which were entertainment, like for example Moral Run, um, we noticed that we we as creative people are not happy enough only with entertainment. We, we wanted to do something that is just fun <laughs> <laughs> and and do games that not uh, have to... I don't know, that, that, that have to have a purpose like I, I wanted to have the, the purpose in the beginning and with time I noticed okay I also want the other games now <laughs> and by the so way
0: fun still... fun is also mm-hmm. a purpose I mean I feel it's a good point to, to say that especially since we're still in, in a pandemic yeah. and the entire world is like uh, yeah, you know totally. changing a bit and I think games play a major role in that in that time yeah. a- also games that are just fun you know I love edutainment, love series mm-hmm. games but uh, you know as an entertainment industry I think we're very relevant right now to society uh, overall because people you know can take a step back they can relax mm. a little bit they enter the worlds that we create um, and I think that's very very important even if it's just fun um, sometimes yeah. you know where we always have this feeling of, of, of the lack of purpose <laughs> I mean uh, you mentioned earlier that the games industry is pretty much between 20 and 40 I kind of fall out of that bracket next month No, actually not this month oh my god uh, I turned 40 so <laughs> after that I'm, I'm the old guy in the industry I guess or one of them but uh, you know I still feel that um, there's a lot of purpose in the games that we make in general whether they have a more serious approach or not
1: yeah also uh yeah uh, connecting um so i'm living in berlin but uh, my family lives uh, most most of them live in dresden and uh, surroundings and my sister is going to prague um, in the next month and i don't see them very often uh, but i can connect with them i can play games with them uh, like study ready for example (laughs) i play with my sisters (laughs) and uh yeah it's it's just so good to have the games as something over which you can connect because uh, a, a telephone call or a Zoom call you only have time to you only have topics to talk about for an amount of time but connecting over games where you can actually do something together and bond and yeah have other experiences than just talk to each other I think it's another really another. Um, uh,
0: it's another another experience, more than more immersive, yeah. probably in that case. Yeah, indeed.
1: another another focus on the. Um... The yeah, on the, on, <laughs> the re- on the
0: relationship between the, uh, between yeah. the two people. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you and actually it gives me an idea of maybe we should do one of those uh, those podcast sessions uh, over a game because so far we use the setup that you were describing before. So when you guys out there are listening to this right now, you know, know that we are recording this uh, using Zoom and using, uh, you know, a platform for the audio part, but uh, maybe next time we do it through a game. So it, uh, it makes it more and more lively. We should it, probably, yeah. <laughs> probably have, th- thanks for the idea. I'll, <laughs> I'll check this out yeah. and see if we can do something. I mean, it's kind of a, a a audio only let's play kind of thing so well, let's we should we yeah, should
1: and check you, it out you have to tell what you're doing but it's
0: but it's fun a friend of mine actually has a podcast um mm-hmm. for text adventures he's he's a huge nerd wow. about that and uh uh, in German, it's called Textlastig, and um, <laughs> it's got a funny name as well. And, and that's what they do. So they play these, and nobody can actually see it, but they talk mm-hmm. about what they experience. And that's that's, that's pretty nice. Um, so uh, we, should, we should try this, definitely. <laughs> but getting back to, mm-hmm. um, to to Tiny Crocodile, I mean, we were talking yeah. about the, g- the other games you do, and, um, and th- th- that not everything has to be serious. <laughs> so um, maybe you can elaborate a little more on what you're planning there.
1: Um, Yeah, Dogodash and Monkey Strike are the two games that have the only fun purpose. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, they're doing pretty well in that uh, regard. Um, Monkey Strike is a collectible card game that we'd like to do. And uh, we got funding last year for developing a prototype. uh, Yeah, We we developed a prototype and are now looking for more funding for developing the actual project. And um, another card game, but analog this time, is Doggo Dash, and uh, this is a game uh, which was invented by a friend of mine, uh, Talita, and she invented the game by accident on a game jam. She she didn't plan to make anything, and uh, we happened to have a card game on hand, and she invented a game that it's basically rock, paper, scissors, but with cool and crazy twists. And a really, really awesome character card. So we have an artist called Margarita. And she draws such amazing cards. And um, it's a game by... Uh, so it's not not that we at Tiny Crocodile develop this game as a studio. But we have it under our wings. So mm. the creator is Talita. And I help her with the business development. Um, maybe also make the crowdfunding company uh, over Tiny Crocodile. Uh, because, yeah, that's something that we plan to do. <laughs> so if you're interested in uh, uh, in lighthearted card games that you can play at parties or with a the family, um, then, yeah, keep an eye out for Dogo Dash because we're going to have a Kickstarter campaign very soon. <laughs>
0: no, I just want to ask when it's, when it's going to be uh, released or when there's more info mm-hmm. about it. So Kickstarter campaign very soon. Do you know when very soon is going to be? <laughs>
1: uh unfortunately not no <laughs> okay <laughs> then still, i'm not gonna pry like... for more information i just gonna leave it at <laughs> we're, that we're still you know. collecting uh followers to make the uh the chance to actually have a successful kicks uh crowdfunding oh. campaign uh even higher because uh yeah it's also something that's that's related to having an indie studio and making your game viable you're putting a lot of work into uh, even the preparation like we did with with Monkey Strike, it's a, it's a prototype, just a prototype, but a lot of work and money went into it. And uh, the same goes for Dogo Dash. It's just a card game, but it's in development since two years, around two years now. Uh, I mean, of course, not full time, but uh, a lot of work, especially in the community building that Talita did, uh, the drawing the artworks. So a, a lot of work already went into the project before we're even going to do a crowdfunding campaign to get money to make the game. <laughs> so if anyone wants to found a studio, um, then think of that you have a lot of preparation work also to do and you have to be able to afford that because I have to say not everybody can afford that. Yeah. Uh, you, you need get money from somewhere
0: (laughs) i mean it brings us brings us kind of to the to uh, back Mm -hmm. to the overall theme Uh, again like how do you how do you start and how do you fund mm-hmm. all this? I mean, you mentioned that Kickstarter is one of the options of crowdfunding mm-hmm. in general, and obviously, uh, you know, publishers are the other option. But uh, yeah. w- where do you begin? I mean, when you start a tiny crocodile, you had the advantage. Uh, I would say that you've been in the industry for quite a while already. Mm-hmm. There's others that start this, you know, right after college. They they want to create their own studio and they uh, they have no connections in the industry. And I think mm-hmm. it's it might be even harder for them to do it. And and I know that you're still um, you know uh, trying to to you know get funding funding for, for your projects and so on, but what are mm-hmm. your experiences so far? What has, what has worked and what has been difficult um, for you in, in terms of, you know, getting the money you need to actually make this work?
1: Um, actually, when it comes to founding uh, right after college, I think they even have an advantage doing so. So if you are in college and planning to found, uh, then you should do it because uh, there are a lot of programs and fundings especially for those mm-hmm. who are fresh from the uni it was a, a lot harder for us since we worked for a while and we were not fresh out of uni uh, to be honest i don't even have a, a, a finished degree uh, i stopped studying for starting making games
0: <laughs> well, <fair laughs> so enough, you know.
1: <laughs> if you're studying making games and want to found uh, it could be a good opportunity of course you could also go into the industry and work to get some experience, but it could also be a good opportunity to instantly uh, found a company.
0: Yeah, um, by the way I didn't yeah. want to talk anybody out of trying to found things <laughs> to do I have, a, I have a lot of respect for that, that I didn't that have that the good. guts at that point uh, to do it myself so I decided to mm-hmm. go the, the easy route and go into the industry and stay there and I think at some point I mean there's, there's definitely one thing if you've been in the industry for a while if you worked there if you got your salary and everything was, was kind of safe to some extent mm-hmm. uh, then of course making that change and making that move into being independent again and being you know uh, your own um, boss if you will in that case is mm-hmm. uh, something very challenging i would assume so in that light yeah i think you're right it's it's yeah. uh that's definitely something you have to take into account
1: so uh, basically if you want to do it then you need to think of where the money comes from and this can be anything i mean uh, i know people who uh, saved money when they were working so they did not spend that much but saved, z- z- saved and then said okay i now have like one or two years or more, I don't know how high your salary is. (laughs) I have now saved enough money to fund Mm -hmm. myself for a certain amount of time and develop the game or prepare something else like the Kickstarter campaign. As I said, the Kickstarter campaign, it doesn't give you money instantly. You need to prepare this as well. So you need to have some money from somewhere. So it can be savings. Uh, it can be that you have a partner who uh, earns uh, enough money to sustain both of you. So for example, the developer of Stardew Valley had a wife who worked for both of them and he developed the game. So if that works in your partnership, that might be something. Um, and for us, it's freelancing. Uh, I was freelancing before I founded Tiny Crocodile, I think I, I freelanced yeah, uh, uh, around one year or one and a half years. Before uh, I found a tiny crocodile, so I continued freelancing and um I'm giving workshops and Mario as well, uh, but I was I was giving giving them since 2015. Um so whenever we had funding I did less workshops and whenever we need some funding I do more workshops to at least sustain my own yeah living, <laughs> like putting the rice on the table. Right. <laughs>
0: So, um, so tell us a bit more mm-hmm. about those workshops. Uh, I think you do mm-hmm. workshops with kids sometimes, yeah. uh, teaching them about uh, game development, technical aspects and, and others, other things. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very curious. It's something that I really think is, is great um, for our <laughs> industry and f- especially for kids who at some point might want to join uh, our group <laughs> of uh, game developers. Um, so uh, it would be great if you could share a bit more about what you do there.
1: Yeah, not only for the industry. I mean, um, I think, <laughs> to be honest, that everyone should have made a game in their life at least once. And it doesn't have to be a super big game, but uh, thinking and how a game uh, is made uh, gives you the um, possibility to change the perspective. Because um, if, you, if you never had to do the hard work, you never know what the games that you play actually what it means right. to make them that's just a lot of work a lot of time and sometimes there are people who say oh why are the developers so stupid why didn't they mm. implement this awesome idea i have Or <laughs> well, why why do were, i have uh, to pay
0: like 2.99 yeah. on the app store for a game that i know hours and hours have been go- or years have been going into uh mm-hmm. it's sometimes very interesting how and i don't want to complain you know it's just it's just reality <laughs> but uh it's sometimes surprising how easily people mm-hmm. spent uh, i don't know if Five euros on a on a cup of coffee and uh, and they have problems um paying five euros for a great game you know
1: yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah um by the way monkey swag it's i think uh, around three euro in the app store and we developed uh, about one and a half years so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a lot of th- coffees have to go into that ab- game. <laughs> absolutely yeah um, yeah, so uh, uh, what I teach them exactly, it always depends on where I lay the focus. So basically we make games uh, in the workshops, but that sometimes the focus is more on coding. So if I'm working with a school or parents who want to teach uh, coding to the kids, uh, sometimes it's more about the creative aspect of telling a story or making your own artworks. And uh, there are very cool kid-friendly tools that I use, for example, Scratch, with which you can do everything very easily and very fast, actually very fast. So uh, I use Scratch sometimes when I do uh, game jams and actually sometimes even to prototype something because it's so easy to use and it's so fast to use. And yeah, so um, depending on what we do uh, with the kids, we are focusing on coding, on the art, or sometimes on the the thinking process behind the game rules. And it doesn't have to be digital. Uh, I I sometimes also do analog game workshops Sometimes the kids are a bit grumpy if they notice that we're not doing something digital. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, there's this game Werewolf, which uh, is still uh, an an evergreen. So I played it back then in school, but the kids now uh, today, they also love it. And yeah, sometimes we just sit down and mod some werewolf cards. You don't have to come up with a new game idea all the time. Sometimes you can take a game that's already there and think about how you can change it. Because the thing is making a whole game it takes a lot of time and the workshops are sometimes 60 minutes to four hours and yeah so you're not making the
0: next gda in this time <laughs> <laughs> i mean, I mean uh, th- that's what i wanted to ask like how often mm-hmm. you do these works and how long they take i mean even in a game jam you usually have mm-hmm. like a very limited amount of time and it's hard to make a game like in a day or two mm-hmm. uh if you were talking about an hour or four hours or something then i think you can only catch a glimpse of of you yeah. know uh, of this so you have to focus on, on some things but do you have kids that come back and uh, you know and, and do multiple workshops uh, and by the way how do you in general mm-hmm. advertise this i mean when you started the workshops did you just uh, you know Talk to friends and family, and asked if they if their kids would be interested in that. Or do you do you talk to I don't know schools or uh, any other organizations in in the area of Berlin? Or how do you do this?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, it's easy. I don't advertise <laughs> because I'm not organizing uh, most of the workshops uh, myself. Mm-hmm. I'm working for others, like s- uh, schools. Ask me if I want to do the work oh, okay. workshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, foundations, uh, something that is called Schulträger in Germany, who uh are the the bridge between the the state and the schools mm-hmm. and who get money from the states to div, uh, to organize workshops so um for example i've worked with the digitalwerkstatt here in berlin or the junge tüftler mm-hmm. and they asked me as a freelancer if they, if i want to make uh, a workshop with them mm-hmm. uh, i'm also at uh, universities like for example the here in Berlin I gave some uh, game development workshops so not only kids but (laughs) also adults Mm -hmm. and yeah so uh, I don't need to advertise because I'm not organizing the workshops yet I'm currently working on something that I actually want to advertise myself but it's it's still a work in progress and I want to have it I think in spring of next year but yeah so', still so guess, it's secret <laughs> so, so,
0: so I guess we gotta have a follow- up in spring next year when we're talking mm-hmm. about this once <laughs> you can can announce it so um do you also sometimes it, it sounds a little bit like you sometimes train the trainers so to speak so you you do yeah. workshops and then and then these guys work with uh, the kids uh, as a next step
1: yeah um yeah not as often as I wished uh, <laughs> because adults are mostly a bit more easy to handle than kids. <laughs> Ah um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's also very mixed. So often, of course, it's teachers, but also uh, people who work, for example, for kids clubs and uh, things like that. Um, I was <laughs> I was once giving a workshop on an introduction and how to start uh, doing digital workshops with, with kids, and we had a lot of teachers from school who said, "Yeah, I'm." the person for digital stuff in my school because I know how to switch a computer on and off.
0: Who who doesn't know these kind of people? It's it's usually the person that has an email address or something like that. Those are the ones that are now the the chief digital officer of the local school.
1: (laughs) So unfortunately, in the school system, there's a lot of work uh, still to be done. I mean, it's good for us since we can do more workshops, but I wish (laughs) we didn't have to because it says a lot about the, the school system.
0: Yeah, I'm really, um, um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to say excited, but I'm curious, I would say, what happens. My daughter is five years old now, so she goes to school next year. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to see how digital our schools here are going to be. And I'm afraid <laughs> that uh, I will bang my head on the table a couple of times, you know, when I see how they do certain things. But, I, but I'm but i hopeful, you know. Um, yeah. uh,
1: I, like, I mean, it depends on the school. Yeah. Uh, I've worked in schools where the director was really, really Motivated to organize things out of the curriculum for the pupils, they had uh, a school garden. The kids cooked. The kids had this uh, programming class. They had a library. They had um, um, what is what is Hirschby, like an audio play uh, mm-hmm. recording session. So it, everything came because the the director of the school was so um, yeah motivated to to do everything. And in other schools, they just Yeah, go there, make the... Nine to five job <laughs> and yeah. then go
0: home. <laughs> like pretty much everything else, I guess in the end it comes down to people. You know how motivated they yeah. are. And if I mean, if you didn't uh, want to do the workshops for kids, then you know maybe there was there would be nobody doing them. So um, I think it's it's all it always comes down to the passion that somebody has for for something. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to also to your geometry game. If you know if, uh, if your friend didn't have this idea and, and <laughs> you didn't say let's make a game out of it, then uh, you know the we wouldn't have uh, monkey swag right now, which is uh, which would be a loss, obviously. So uh, it's really great that uh, sometimes things come together. So, so what I'm curious um, is mm-hmm. how do you balance all this? I mean, obviously we, we talked about this a little bit, you, you do the workshops, if you mm-hmm. are in need of, of some money to keep uh, working on the games that uh, that you have, is that sometimes a struggle I can imagine, like uh, you know, wanting to do the workshops on the other hand, because I guess they're mm-hmm. also some fun and they bring in some money, but at the same time you also wanna make sure that you can continue developing your games. So mm-hmm. um, uh, how do you usually do that? Is that something you debate with your husband and, and how you want to go forward or do you kind of split up a little bit and one works on the game with some of the outsources that you are freelancers that you have mm-hmm. and um, how, do, how does it, how do you usually do it
1: um i mean it's it's a struggle it's always a struggle uh, and it depends on i would say how many months are planned in advance so for example right now it looks like we're not getting funding for monkey swag for the rest of the year. So I'm planning the rest of the year, making more workshops.
0: You're, you're talking about mon- monkey strike, right? Uh,
1: uh, monkey strike. Yeah. yeah sorry, yeah. <laughs> too many monkeys. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, I try to have some general planning sessions. Uh, every like every three months or so or that it, com- it actually comes naturally mm-hmm. because we, we talk and think about okay what comes next the, the project that we're currently doing is uh, in the process of uh, getting finished so what comes next um and so i plan or we plan together um and make plans at the beginning of the year in the middle of the year and in between mm-hmm. for every month and um so it's yeah it's basically that you sit down and think about how is the current situation do we have um contract work and and all workshops or funding for a project and if not what do we need to do to get it and uh, what are we interested in and um, for the workshops uh, actually it's I, I mean i do them for five years now so they are pretty stable i have customers that come again and again and uh, so I can count, I can somewhat count on having workshops in the next month uh, most of the time.
0: Which is good to have at least some yeah. solid <laughs> revenue, re- revenue <laughs> stream Definitely. coming up. What what role mm-hmm. um, does the federal funding programs or the regional funding programs play from your point of view? I mean, now we're in the lucky situation that in Germany uh, things change a little bit. We we get the um, the big federal uh, support mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. starting in in September after like a long back and forth. But I'm very happy that we uh, that we're getting into a position that uh, you know hopefully the first funds are going to be paid out um, uh, relatively soon uh, of, of the new program at, l- at least so how important is that for a studio like yours
1: yeah uh, it's incredibly important um, because not everyone has the budget for a game laying around I mean I always tell people if they when they come to me and ask me hey how much should I pay for a game that you make for us uh, I tell them then it, that it starts with 10,000 euro and 10,000 euro is even uh, the, the smallest budget you, you right. shouldn't make a game for ten thousand euro but usually uh, people who were not from the industry they they think it costs less so something between ten and twenty thousand euro is usually uh, a budget for a small educational project hmm. and uh, uh, sorry what was the question ah yeah it's the, the funding. funding so yeah. Uh, yeah if you don't have the money in your pocket whoop, Sorry. if you don't have the money in your pocket to make the game you need it from somewhere else so uh, the funding is a, is a huge plays a huge role and actually gives the people who are not privileged enough to have worked <laughs> in a in a high-paying job no. so I mean you can have savings if you had a job that pa- paid well but let's say you are uh, I don't know uh, you a uh, barber? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think they they earn that much money. And you decide you want to become a game developer, you probably can't because you couldn't save that much money. Yeah. And so I think it's a it's a good thing to help people who don't have the privilege of having huge savings or a partner who earns a lot or maybe. Uh, Maybe parents (laughs) who pay them or let them live in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) So if you don't have that, then yeah, you need the money anyway. So it's a good thing to have this funding. And I'm really, really happy um, that we have it. Of course, you need to bring the other part of the funding still. But I mean, at least it's not 100%.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, certainly makes it easier. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. a difference uh, if you have to um, put up the hundred percent of the development budget, or if you if you know that you get uh, in an ideal case like fifty percent um, from the government to to help you with that.
1: Yeah. Also for the publishers, the publishers are more willing to give you fifty percent than one hundred percent.
0: Exactly. I mean, you, you kind of guessed my follow up question <laughs> because it would be ah. like it would be <laughs> like, uh, what impact do you think it has on publishers? I mean, we haven't talked about publishers much, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I happen in my day to day job, I, I happen to work for a publisher publisher we're not usually publishing uh, in the indie sector more mm-hmm. like in the um, in the slightly bigger uh, game uh, area there but um, how would you think is or when is the right time to approach a publisher if you're an indie studio you know you have a little bit of savings you worked on your game maybe you've done a little bit of contract work or in your case the workshops is there mm-hmm. such a thing like the right time to talk to a publisher
1: um, yeah, I think so. Um, because when we started to develop the prototype for Monkey Strike, um, then my uh, friend and colleague from the other studio, um, Thoughtfish, who <laughs> were doing the, the programming for the prototype. Uh, she told me that I should get... Uh, into pitching right when we started. So we did not even have uh, a line of code, (laughs) but uh, she said I should start making the connections. So even if we hadn't a demo to show the the publishers, um, I needed the the contacts because I didn't have any personal contacts at the publishers yet. So I would have had to send an anonymous email to the publisher and hope that something happens <laughs> and it's way better to have a personal contact so i think i mean of course publishers always want to have the finished prototype and a roadmap and the budget and and of course a calculation if the game is viable and all that stuff
0: <laughs> we, w- we would totally never ask for this no. <laughs> no. Of, co- of course, you're right. I mean, it's a—it's always the same same issue. Obviously, if you if you if you're financing a title, then you want to have as much info as possible. Of you know course, if you want to you want to see it, you want to feel how the game is like. But obviously, when you get started with something, you don't have much to show. So, and, and I guess both sides are aware of uh, of of this um, you know this challenge. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm glad there's publishers out there uh, that understand, and there's developers out there that understand the same thing. So, um, that's usually yeah. what it takes. And
1: it's just getting in touch. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you don't go to the publisher say, hey, I don't have nothing yet, but please give me a lot of money. <laughs> so of course that would yeah. work. But pitching the idea and uh, getting the email address, getting the personal contact and having someone who remembers you half a year later, if you have a prototype, uh, if you have any updates. What I was also doing when we developed the prototype as well, getting in touch again and again and sending the publisher updates, like new screenshots, new version of the prototype. And uh, yeah, so I I would say get in touch as early as you can. Uh, Also, if you have never been on uh, conventions, like for example, the Gamescom as a business uh, visitor, you you just need some time to um, get into it. So if you just were on the Gamescom to visit the games, you're you're not knowing how the the whole business part works, then you should get some, some exercise and some practice. Uh, to be ready for the moment when you have your prototype and be able to, to pitch it to the publisher.
0: Yeah, part, by the way, this is it's good you mentioned that. I mean, this year definitely is a slightly different year than usual mm-hmm. when it comes to events like this. Um, but that's one of the main reasons why we also do this podcast series and why DEFCOM is now a year-round project where, we, yes, we have the highlight around uh, August um, with the with the, you know, a lot of streams and a lot of presentations, but we want to make sure that throughout the year people have the opportunity to have those connections. And, for example, listening to to you and other developers uh, hopefully mm-hmm. opens up those possibilities for young individuals developers as well that want to get into uh the industry want to get into making their own game and that it's it's very important and hopefully next year uh in 2021 you know we will have uh, a lively business area at gamescom (laughs) as well where people can go and meet because that would really suggest uh you know you do that if you want to make your own game Uh, it's definitely a good point
1: yeah, um, it was interesting uh, definitely, uh, I really like going to online uh, conventions because uh, I don't like traveling very much, <laughs> so being able to participate uh, from the comfort of your home, uh, not having to buy 5 euro coffee, is <laughs> <it's> very nice. <laughs> uh also I, I i was able to be at multiple conventions at the same time so i i uh, in, i think it was in april or may where i visited two conventions and f- at one uh, i was for the presentations and the talks and on the other i was for the meetings <laughs> it was definitely uh, very efficient um, but of course it's not the same as meeting someone in real life i think there's another um, there's another level to that And um, I hope that we can have both, um, more of both in the future, because uh, also going to convention, I have to say, it's uh, also a thing of privilege. I mean, here in Berlin, I'm spoiled with places to go. I I just have to go into the uh, tram or U-Bahn to go to many events. And uh, going to the other side of Germany to visit uh, the Gamescom is, isn't that expensive as well. But for example, going to GDC, it's, it's a huge amount of money and yeah, absolutely. as an indie. Uh, this year I was actually pondering, should I go to GDC to meet publishers or should I go to Nordic? And of course, both didn't happen <laughs> live, so I could attend both online. Um but yeah if it's a real life event you need to think about uh, if you can afford it and if you want to afford it because of course you can meet people uh, in other ways you can get in touch uh, with, publish- pu- with publishers in other ways um it's prob- yeah it's easier to get in touch with people if they are already there and go to parties with you and Maybe it's also a strategy to make people drunk. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not good at partying, so <laughs> I cannot do this strategy.
0: <laughs> but, but there's um, a, you're definitely right. There's, uh, I think mm-hmm. going forward, there's, there's, Both ways of of doing this that are very relevant Um, you know we we will hopefully at some point have uh, you know in-person events again where Mm -hmm. uh, people meet up and have have an exchange have have good conversations about you know working together but at the same time I think the the um, you know the requirements of the current situation um, pretty much made it possible that uh, those online conferences came up more Mm -hmm. and more yes there were some of those before but usually you know people were just so used to traveling to going to all those places Mm -hmm. And, mm-hmm. and you mentioned one uh, one particularly important thing that oftentimes because of the costs involved when you travel to the United mm. States or go, go some other country far away um, then uh, it, w- it was hard for indie developers uh, small studios to somehow deal with that but he still wanted to be yeah. part of that same community and want to be there want to be seen um, and I think that's uh, it's very important going forward that we have a good mix of both so when mm-hmm. we talk about gamescom or defcom we want to make sure that uh, that we cater to to these audiences um, and And really appreciate both ways of uh, of doing things, and I think it's not going to go away. I think this this the one good thing that uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic has done is actually (laughs) that people realize there is so much you can do um, working from home, being at home. Uh, It's a lot. A lot of people underestimated this before it all Mm -hmm. started, Uh, and I I was one of the guys that uh, you were referring to traveling a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I. I think I enjoyed it quite a bit uh, sometimes, but to be honest, like when I uh, when I now was forced to stay home, I also enjoyed that, and and I mm-hmm. and I really realized that a lot of the traveling is um, is sometimes helpful, but maybe not a hundred percent necessary if mm. you already have good connections with mm-hmm. you know the people you work with, so. Um, that, that, that brings me to a question around the, the COVID-19 situation for indies. Um, I would say that people that already have uh, strong connections with, with their partners maybe mm. didn't suffer too much from, uh, from that special situation that we're facing mm-hmm. right now. But how do you feel about uh, your studio or in general um, uh, smaller indie teams and making new connections during that time? Mm. Is that it, was that uh, you know heavily affected by this? Um, is it much harder now or what do you think?
1: hard to tell because I wasn't, um, yeah, I wasn't speaking to my indie uh, friends about making connections. Uh, what I definitely noticed, or what I what I suspected, and what what was confirmed during the Gamescom, uh, was that it's actually harder to get funding now from publishers because the publishers themselves struggle, uh, or at least some. I mean some probably have uh, more (laughs) make more money but some don't and so uh, I think the publishers that are actually willing to fund and the the amount of money they're willing to uh, give into especially a new studio uh, has become less and so the the publishers are fewer So of course there are a lot of publishers but not everyone will fund your game (laughs) and I think COVID-19 um reduce the amount of uh, of publishers who are willing to fund and maybe even the uh, budget they are willing to fund
0: yeah, what I can what I can add from my side is uh, I I agree that that was the reason why I was asking about it. I think it's mm-hmm. especially for smaller teams. Um, we've seen this that did not have a, teams that don't have a footprint in the industry yet, where yeah. you, they can't, you know, showcase all the titles they've worked on so far. For them, it seems to me that it's a little bit harder right now to, mm-hmm. uh, to actually get the the funding. And when I look at the games that uh, we look at from a from a publishing side, um, then at some point comes the moment where you want to you know talk to the team where you want to have those social mm-hmm. interactions, where you to get a feel for how does the Mm -hmm. team collaborate how do they work and that's the tricky part you know the the Mm -hmm. part of evaluating the game and if you have some playable or the concept and all that that all works fine but at some point Mm -hmm. it's like when you usually you'd call it like you kick the tires a little bit you want to make sure if everything (laughs) is stable and it doesn't fall apart um then that's that's the part where really like being there in 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 person helps you know when you Mm -hmm. you can can talk to the people so um that's at least what i've noticed over uh, the past couple of months in that area yeah, <laughs> and it's a, and, and i hope that uh you know this is something that um that is going to improve because i feel that publishers are still willing to spend um mm-hmm. money on new titles and they're very interested everybody wants to you know get new cool games but um you know it's harder to uh find those teams if if, if there's no you know in-person mm-hmm. networking events uh happening and then uh, so i'm I'm always trying, you know, through all kind of different <laughs> channels to encourage people to still connect and uh, yeah. and make this possible. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's, a, it's the last thing I wanted to to touch mm-hmm. on is like publishers and and indies and so on. So business development in general is is very mm-hmm. very important. So do you um do you connect with other indies uh, regularly to talk about this? Um, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of exchange are you interested in in the in the, in that area with others?
1: Um, yeah, so uh, starting from October last year, uh, Tiny Crocodile is part of the indie collective Saftladen. Uh, you may have heard of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, based in Berlin. Of course, the Saftladen, by the way, for the non-German speakers,
0: yeah. is the juice shop, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 kind of a, a funny thing in German. It's hard to translate into into English because it kind of has a double meaning a little bit. Yeah?
1: Um, Yeah, but because of the COVID-19 situations, uh, actually there there wasn't much of the uh, connecting there as we hoped (laughs) there would be. Uh, So yeah, we're back to the home office, Uh, but also we connect uh, via Discord with other indies from uh, all over Berlin, Germany. I would love also to have international people uh, in the meetings uh, because I don't want to tie uh, the meetings with uh, with other people and other indies to a place where I live I, yeah. I think that's, I don't know uh, what sense that should make. <laughs> I want to connect with people no matter where they live, uh, only thing is having a stable internet connection. <laughs> but I think without that, uh, yeah you're screwed as a digital <laughs> company yeah, anyways. So yeah, I'd like to connect with uh, any indies who'd like to talk about how it is to have an indie studio, also talk about very specific problems that you have as a as a CEO, uh, maybe talk about decisions, because I noticed that um, I don't have that many people to talk about when, when I was in a in company working as a game designer, I had other game designers or had programmers mm-hmm. and artists on the same level as myself, which I want to I could talk about web problems, uh, release some steam or just, just talk <laughs> about the same issues. And now that I have an indie studio, I don't have the that, that colleagues anymore. Of course, I have Mario. But uh, he's in the same situation, so I don't have anyone from outside who can give me uh, informed advice. Of course, I can talk to my parents, but they don't have an uh, indie studio, so their um, advice uh, only helps so far. So I'd like to connect with other indie studios to talk about business problems and Also, I have the feeling that that there's not a a lot of talks out there about uh, this kind of information. I mean, of course, you find uh, everything on making your first game in Unity or how to use Blender, but not so many um, talks or videos about how to actually survive as as an indie studio. So if you have the feeling you would like to talk about that as well out there, then (laughs) get in touch. and. Yeah we, we can talk so about so people can what can reach reach up. out to you then mm-hmm.
0: that's that's great um, so i guess they can contact you through the website or uh uh, or something, or if, I don't know if you want to share any contact info, uh, uh, we can we can uh, definitely post something there so that mm-hmm. uh, people know how to how to find you um, and uh, engage in the conversation. And, uh, and I think it's very interesting that uh, um, you say that because uh, I think the exchange is very important. The peers mm-hmm. on the same level are very important. And that yeah. doesn't only go for indie studios, it goes for pretty much everybody who's kind of in a decision-making role. I mean, I was uh, lucky enough to be able to lead one of the larger German developers for the last uh, couple of years and um, when I became the CEO there, I was feeling pretty alone uh, after a mm-hmm. while because, yes, you have people you work, you have coworkers, you have people you can talk to, but sometimes, and you will definitely f- have that feeling as well, uh, you know, pretty much every day, I guess, in, in your case, uh, that you're like, um, okay, well, I'm, I'm kind of alone with this. I, it, somebody needs to make the decision. There's nobody I can mm-hmm. go to other than, in your case, um, you know, your husband, and you can talk about it, but, um, you know, you, you kind of have the same, um uh you know a digital gene pool I would say, so you work in the same <laughs> same thing if you will so um if you uh have the ability to talk to others that have similar experience I think this is, it, it mm. is very important uh, no matter the size of the company you work for uh and it's definitely something that I was looking for and I'm still looking for all the time <laughs> um this exchange with people that that know uh you know what I'm talking about
1: mm-hmm Definitely. Yeah.
0: So I can only encourage uh, our listeners to get in touch with you if they want to exchange with an awesome Indie studio. So... Johanna, I just want to thank you very much for uh, Mm -hmm. giving us a bit of an insight into uh, your life and your company Mm -hmm. and uh, the games you work on. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure for me to uh, talk to you about this. Um, We will have to do a follow-up though next year when you can (laughs) release your your secret. Uh, (laughs) And and, uh, I want to thank you uh, so much for your time uh, today and uh, hope that we can reconnect at some point at a um, really in-person event (laughs) if if those happen. I know you don't like traveling too much, but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe you can make an exception. <laughs> yeah. uh, we can, uh, you know, kind of, of recap course. on the on the podcast. Thank you very much, Johanna. Yeah,
1: cool. Thank you for having me. And
0: uh, absolutely, it was, was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to a Devcom podcast produced by Sven Fossing. Executive producer Stefan Reichart. Music by WeLoveindies.com. Supported by Bayer Dynamic. High quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers, made in Germany.